5, if you will. Mark chapter 5. We're going to go back uh, through this uh, parable or this uh, the scene here with uh, the, what is called the maniac of Gadara. Uh, actually, he's not a maniac. He's uh, not mentally ill at all. He just happens to have a, a lot of unclean spirits in him. So uh, verse 1, and they came over under the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. Last time we talked about that country. Rick, Ricky's here, so that's okay. Yeah, I know, just keep me on my toes. No, Ricky's here running the control. So um, we talked last time about when the Lord, uh, he goes into that country of the Gadarene, so the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And that country, that territory, for all of it, the days of Israel in the, in the land has been a stronghold of the adversary, of, of satanic, of spiritual darkness. And th- that's that, that upper northern regions of Israel. And that area, and we looked at the verses, and we, I, I tried to show you and talk to you about where we're at in the earthly ministry of Christ and what he's doing and why he goes into that territory and that area of spiritual darkness, of darkness up there, it actually goes from that eastern side of the Sea of Galilee all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea. So if you think about the Sea of Galilee, it sits here, and he goes all the way over to the, sea, to the Mediterranean Sea. Right below that is that, little, is that buffer zone of Zebulun and Nephilim, where the Lord goes up and calls the, tw- the 11 of the 12 and so forth, and we saw that. And that area is under the control of, of the satanic policy. Baal worship, that's where Mike, uh, Micah and Dan and all that, we went back in Judges there and we looked where all of that is introduced, and it's all designed to corrupt the nation of Israel, to occupy the people who are occupying the land. So, and by the way, in prophecy, the area where the Antichrist is going to come out of is north of that area. So the area that the Lord's in, the Antichrist comes out north. So the adversary has put a buffer zone, a DMZ zone, if you will, uh, occupied it fully. He's got a whole, whole military group there. And that's designed to repel this intrusion, this attack from the south in there and to hold that area. And he does that by sending out his troops into the nation of Israel. And he, again, he's literally taken over the whole nation as a whole. And in the earthly ministry, historically in the earthly ministry of the Lord, the whole nation is gone. That's why the Lord's there now calling out the little flock, establishing that believing remnant, establishing the leadership in the 12, and moving forward and getting them ready. And that's why the message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's time now to move to the next stage and to move forward. So that's the picture that's going to be painted here. Verse 2, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So, what you have here is you've got this, he's going to, he, the Lord is invading the territory held by the adversary. So who comes to meet him? 
this guy with the unclean spirit. Now, in Matthew, when you compare Matthew 8 and Luke 8 and Mark 5, again, we did this last time, Matthew 8, he's got two guys that show up. And again, that's because of the, portray, the, the portrait that Matthew's painting of who Christ is as the deliverer, as the Messiah, as king, and that he's going to deliver both houses of Israel. So you've got two. And, and honestly, just because Mark and, Ma- and Luke only have one guy talked about doesn't deny that there's a second guy standing there. It just says we got a different purpose. And the purpose in Mark and in and Luke is to demonstrate the, what the real issue is behind all of this, behind the captivity, what's really going on here, and what is the real issue. Uh, come over to Luke 8, j- just to kind of catch uh, the drift here. Luke 8 and verse 26. So when, you, when we get into the details here, I'm, I'm going to try and keep us in Mark 5, right? Good luck, right? <laughs> But because Matthew, there's hardly any details. It's just a guy shows up, the Lord casts him out, and off he goes to the next. Luke actually has more details than Mark does. Mark, or Luke 8, verse 26, And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time. And wore, uh, wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. Now, you'll notice Mark says unclean spirits. Here, in uh, Luke, he says devils. Notice it's plural. And I told you last time, when you talk in Scripture about the word devils, and the word, in Greek, that word devil doesn't always mean bad. Okay, it can also mean a good thing, like in they have a devil in that they're a genius and so forth. But it also doesn't always carry the connotation of Satan himself, because notice it's plural. So there's, we're not talking about Satan, we're talking about the unclean spirits. All right, demons are the same way. Actually, in Greek, demons carry that connotation of good or bad just as well. So you have to be careful with that. But notice Luke here. There's, he, verse 27, he, he's in, he's in, he doesn't abide in a house. He's out in the tombs. He's got devils. He, he, this, uh, go back to Mark 5. So when you begin to look at this and, and just kind of get the picture here, Mark 5 says there, verse 2, that he has the, uh, with an unclean spirit. Again, notice th- that is singular because there's one talking for the group. There's at least about, Luke 8 has him, devils, plural. There's about 2,000 guys, and uh, unclean spirits in this guy. If you look there at the end of verse 13, in the parenthesis, there are, were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. So there's at least 2,000 spirits inhabiting this guy. Uh, so he's in the man, Mark 5 now. He's in the man, and he's going to meet Christ as he comes off of the boat and comes into the area. And he meets Christ. Again, Christ has come to deliver, release, rescue, repossess Israel, and, and clean up that land from satanic captivity. Demonstrate how he's going to do it. Verse 3, 5-3. 
who had his dwelling among the tombs, and with no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Luke 8, he lived where? In the mountains. He, he's he's uh, come out of the mountains. Uh, there, he's, he's in the tombs and so forth. So uh, he's got no house. He's living outside, okay? He... <laughs> When, we, when I worked in the water truck biz job, uh, we did the road out to one of the lakes, and there was a guy that lived in his car down by the river. <laughs> Not a van, a car. But he lived outside. And he would move. As we would move into the work, then he would move. And I was talking to the forest ranger, uh, the guy with the gun, not the other guy that looks like, don't hurt the flowers. This is the guy that says, put them up. You know? And I asked him about him. He goes, oh, yeah, we know Henry. And uh, that wasn't his name, but that, okay. We know Henry, and he's good. He's fine. And, he, and I said, well, I just noticed him. He moved. He goes, oh, he will. He doesn't like people, and he just moves, and he's got his two dogs. And sure enough, I come around the corner one day, and there's his car and both dogs up on top of the car watching and looking. I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, here we go. You know, blow my horn and honk, and off we go. But the thing is, is this guy lives outside. Luke 8, he's in the mountains. So he's, this man is completely and totally controlled by the unclean spirit. He's not in his right mind because of the unclean spirit, the occupation of the unclean spirit. Because as soon as he leaves, we'll see it next time, he gets, he's back into his right mind. So he's living in the tombs, which is a graveyard there, verse 3, who, who had his dwellings among the tombs. So they can't bind him. He's just a wild man. If, if you look at verse 4, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. He's just a wild man, and he's living in the tombs. He's living in the graveyard. And uh, literally, he's living uh, in amongst the monuments to the power of the unclean spirit that is controlling him, that he's un operating under. S Satan has the power of death. So this guy's living out among the monuments out there. Of That's what a tomb graveyard is, like monuments, here they are of what happens when you're, you're under satanic captivity and what happens when you're following what Satan wants done. Come back to Isaiah 65, a passage we looked at last time, but we'll look at this verse in Isaiah 65. So he's, what he's describing here isn't Halloween. I, I read a guy who was talking about this, oh, it's just like All Hallows' Eve and all this is not that at all. This is something more dastardly, more satanic than, than, than that. Look at Isaiah 65. Look at verse 2. He says, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good, after their own thoughts. So he's describing what happens when you're in Baal worship. In Scripture, it's Baal worship, pagan that Israel's, what Israel has adopted as their religious tradition, the traditions of the fathers and the elders and everything, this vain religious system, what happens when you 
put God's word aside, and you come over here and you do it your way. Now, this happens today in the body of Christ as well, but we're talking about Israel. Verse 3, a people that provoked me to anger continually to my face, that sacrifice in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of, raw, of brick. Notice they're sacrificing, they're in the gardens. Moses will tell them, you burn the groves down. By the way, the groves are in the high places. We'll see that in just a minute. This is religion. They're, they're, he's burning incense. We'll see in a minute in the guy in Mark 5, he's cutting himself. Part of that, that the, part of the religion, the, 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 the uh, self-mutilation stuff. What's, they, <laughs> they didn't abandon religion. They just abandoned the religion God gave them. They went somewhere else. Now watch verse 4. Which remaineth among the graves and lodged in the mountains, which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things in their vessels. The graves, the monuments, the tombs, there they are. The, 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 the tombs here, this guy, go back to, you can stick something in Isaiah if you want, but go back to Mark 5. The guy here, Mark 5, if you look there at verse 5, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. Look at what he's doing. He's cutting himself. He's, he's, he is in, he's in exactly what Isaiah 65 said. He's in that state of condition. He's in the religion. He, night and day is a continual thing. And literally what's being described here is what Romans 1, where Paul, go over there to Romans 1, what Paul describes as the depths of sin. Revelation 2, it's called the depth of Satan. And that's where this guy is. If you look there at Romans 1, uh, Romans 1, if you start in verse 28, the third strike here for, for mankind, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things which are not convenient, being filled with, and then in verse 29, 30, and 31, he lays out the list there of what's gonna, what happens to those who don't like to retain God in their knowledge. What's going to happen to them? They've laid aside God's word. They're over here doing something else. So what's the deal? Now watch verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God. Man, that, I said it Sunday, that verse in Timothy about the soldier doesn't war after the things of the, of the world and get entangled with the affairs of the day. <laughs> and these verses, who knowing the judgment of God, they know what's happening. This man in Mark 5 knows who the Lord is, knows what's happening. They, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, but not, not only do the same. Okay, so they're doing it, but have what? Have pleasure in them that do them. They're over here getting their jollies, if you will, watching other people do the same thing. They're doing it, but then they're going to get everybody else. And that, that issue, go back to Mark 5, that issue there of the depths of sin, that's where this guy is. 
He's totally and completely engulfed with the satanic captivity, and, he, and he's, <laughs> he's not even from the area. He's from south of, the board, south of all this, from Decapolis. So he's from Decapolis. He's not even, he, so he goes up to the Gadarenes up there, or the Gergesenes up there, the little city, and then he's not even in the city anymore. He's out in the mountains, outside of town, playing in the graveyard. And people look at, no wonder they thought he was nuts. But the thing is, is what's he doing? He's, he's not think the man isn't, it's that unclean spirit there. Ultimately, we'll see here in a minute, his name is Legion. Mark 5, verse number 3, the end of that verse, no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. He is under complete and total satanic captivity. So much so that there is no human way to deliver him. The binding, they can't put him in chains anymore. Why? He just walks right out of them. No man-made system could control him, could deliver him from the situation. All of the human effort to, to free him of the unclean spirit, to free him, to tie him down, to rescue him, to do whatever, was just to no avail. So guess what? You guys have all heard about exorcism. It doesn't work. Doesn't work today because that's not what they're doing. The adversary's not doing that stuff today. That's a figment of imaginations. But even here, what do they try to do to the guy? They try to bind him. They try to control him. And ex what Satan's telling Israel is there's nothing you can do. I got you. Come back to Jeremiah 30. He goes, I got you. I, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 31. And what Jesus Christ is doing by showing up, going to the other side, coming off the boat, is Christ says, you know what? I'm going to take the strong man that's got you guys, and I'm going to bind him up. And I'm going to, we read that thing about the strong man, and you've got to have a stronger to bind him. And I'm going to come up there, and I'm going to bind up the adversary, and then I'm going to spoil his goods. I'm going to take his stuff, and I'm going to do this. And I, and uh, the unclean spirit, he looks at him. He, we'll see here in just a second. He goes, okay, who are you, son of God, uh, son of the Most High? <laughs> okay, just take it easy. You know, don't get us. Don't get me now. By the way, don't cast us out of the land. There's a whole thing because of what is happening here. Jeremiah 31, the great passage, verse 31 to 34, about the new covenant. Okay? But before you get to the wonderful news of the new covenant for Israel, he sets the stage for how badly Israel needs the new covenant. See, we like to just jump into 31, and really we need to start at verse 1. Right? Well, we're going to start at verse 8. Okay? But see, because... Israel's condition, they need what the new covenant provides. They, they're not able to do it themselves. Look at 31.8. 31, eight. 31 uh, well, actually, read verse 1. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and, then sh and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people 
which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. A great time, a great description, verse 2, of what's happening in the second coming and in the 70th week prior to going into the kingdom there is that there's people left. So in the Lord's coming back in the second coming, he does not wipe out humanity. There's crazy ideas that go all the way back to Bullinger and all those guys back there that when God comes down, he's wiping out humanity, and he's not. If he did, there'd be nobody to go into the kingdom. And there would be no Matthew 28 commission to go out and do in the kingdom. So it, those little verses kind of stuck in there. There's, a, there's one over in Hosea. There's a couple in Revelation that, doesn't, that indicates that when he comes back, the intensity, the focus is the Middle Eastern area. Now that impacts the world, but he'll get the world in a bit. Verse 8, Behold, I will bring them from the north country. Well, where are we at in Mark 5? We're in the north country. And gather them from the coast of the earth. Here, notice he says, I will bring. This is what he's going to do. And gather them from the coast of the earth, and with, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child together, a great company shall return thither. You remember that passage in Matthew? And he says, hey, when you guys see the abomination that Daniel told you about, it's time to flee. You and Judah, get out of town. By the way, who's to get out of town? Those in Judah. Why? Because that's where the intensity is. And hope that it's not on a Sabbath. And hope you're not, woe is it with the woman that travails and is ready to give. Well, where did all that come from? It's right here. This is where it's coming from. Verse 9, then shall come the, uh, they shall come with weeping. And with supplication will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations. Now there's the Gentiles. And declare it in the isles far off, and say, he that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. That's why the Lord does all that in John about the shepherd and the flock and all this stuff. Why? It's what prophecy said he was going to do. Now watch verse 11. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Look at what God says to Israel. You're going to be in the condition where I'm going to have to redeem you, and I'm going to have to ransom you. And when I do that, then I'm going to bring you back into the land, and I'm going to put you there. But before you, I can do that, I have to come in here now and deal with the strong man. I have to come in here and deal with someone that's stronger than you. You can't hold him. Nothing. I think about that. Look over at Job. You know, just the verses you get the running through your head. Look at Job 40. Job 40. You can't get the. You can't get loose, Israel. I'm going to have to come and do it for you. And that's really what the new covenant ends up being all about. You can't fix yourself. I have to do it for you. 
Israel. Look at Job 40, a description starting in verse 15. Behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox, and so forth. You see that? Behemoth there is not an elephant. Schofield's wrong, I'm sorry. That is that, that is a, behemoth is a description of a composite beast. You think about the Antichrist and the description in Revelation 13 of all of those different beasts in one. That's what the behemoth is. Because, but look at verse 19. He is the chief of the ways of God. Now watch. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. See that? Who's the only one that can deal with the guy? The one that made him. The Lord. So here's Israel trying to battle out the Antichrist. Uh-uh, ain't going to work. You're going to lose. By the way, what was Job trying to do? And come back to, to Mark uh, well, yeah, Mark, oh, we're right here. Yeah, Mark 5, let's just do that. So Job's trying to battle Satan, but he can't do it. He's got to have help. That's what's happening here, Mark 5, 5. And always night and day he was in the tombs, and in the tombs, uh, I'm sorry, he was in the mountains, and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. Again, Israel's problem, this guy's a picture of the spiritual condition of Israel in the, during the earthly ministry of Christ. They're a mess. They're cutting themselves with stones. He ain't even got the sharp edge out. He's just, they're, and again, that's that whole, that religion. And scripture's called Baal worship. He, the Lord looks at him and says, on the outside, you're white sepulchers, but inside, you're dead man bones. That's all you are. You're of your father, the devil. That's who you are. And what this man is demonstrating is the impact of that vain religious system, Baal worship, that has the nation of Israel in its grips. Mark 5, notice here the issue of the mountains and what he's doing. He's, he's down in the tombs, he's in the graveyards, the monuments of the result of the adversary that vain religious system. But yet, here in the mountains, he's up in the mountains. Now, you would think that living in the mountains would be a good thing. Uh, come back to Jeremiah 13, and then we need 2 Kings 15, but Jeremiah 13 first. I, <laughs> Monday night, uh, the kids are all on their tablets and phones, so I, I give them like eight verses in a row, and they're like, I can't, we can't do that, slow down. I forget, you guys, the older, more mature crowd, have Bibles, so, which is a good thing. Uh, 2 Kings 15, and then Jeremiah 13. 2 Kings 15, but we're going to go in Jeremiah 13 first, okay? Because you guys up here have tablets, so. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, no, no more comments about that. Uh, Jeremiah 13. In Baal worship... The, they, were, they worshiped in mountains. They, they have high places, they called them. They have a grove. Literally, the grove was a, was a circuit. You guys have all seen stone hedges, you know, in the pictures and stuff, or maybe you've been there, I don't know. But that's the idea of the grove. But inside of the grove, Moses tells Israel that when you guys dispossess the land and everything, you are to destroy everything. But he makes a point of talking about their pictures. And it's like, pictures? 
Well, what was going on inside the grove was spiritual fornication. And the pictures was literally pornography because there's a sexual activity involved in this religion. It gets re- I tell you, we go right into the depths. You think people are bad now, man, down they go. But look at Jeremiah 13. Look at verse 15, 13, 15. Hear ye and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And while you look for light, he turned it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. So if it's gross darkness and it's a dark mountain, we're not talking about he turned the lights out. We're talking about spiritual darkness. That's what we're talking about. John 1, he says that uh, uh, there was darkness upon the earth and the darkness and he shined the light and the darkness darkness comprehended it not we're not talking about he turned he pulled the shade down over the sun for a little bit it's talking about the spiritual thing these they're up in the mountains what's going on in the mountains is the rejecting of god's word and because they're rejecting god's word what's happening darkness spiritual darkness is being introduced into them 2 Kings 15. They're being introduced, by the way, to devil worship. Satan worship. That's what they're doing. Okay? 2 Kings 15. And look at verse 3. 2 Kings 15 and verse 3. Here's what they're doing. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amazel had done. Amazel, uh, we're talking about Azariah. He's the king in Israel. Verse 4, save that the high places were not removed. Well, wait a minute. Moses told them to do what? Destroy it all. They didn't. They kept it. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. They didn't remove. They kept it as a place of worship what were they doing they're isaiah 65 they're sacrificing they're up there doing their little dancing and they get around the fire and they go and I, that thing where moses comes down and he hears the stuff in the camp and he goes there's there's a sound of war in the camp it's unintelligible music and stuff is to be intelligible you're to be able to hear it understand it and these guys aren't it's chaos so in Mark 5, that's the condition. It's not a mental... Go over to 1 Kings 18. Since you're in Kings, well, I'll just skip having you go back to Mark 15. I told you I was going to stay in Mark 5. I told you good luck, right? 1 Kings uh, 18. You see, in Mark 5, this is not a maniac. He's caught in a system. The man is. It's not a mental issue. He's not schizo. He's not, you know... You know, one bolt loose short of a full load. Any, one, what is it? One brick shy of a full deck. It's none of that. I just put two together, I think, on that. Anyway, he's caught in a vain religious system called Baal worship, a satanic system that has a worship system to it. And that system is, is operating in order to pollute and to corrupt Israel. 
which then will come over here and corrupt the land, make it all unusable by God. I, I hope you realize Satan hates Israel, but Satan hates humanity. You go back and you look at Genesis 1, where the Lord commissioned, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, where he commissions Adam. That man is a direct enemy of Satan, period, across the board. And here it just happens to be Israel. 1 Kings 18, notice, if you will, verse, uh, this is Elijah with the Baal guys. Verse 8, 28, and they cried, he's mocking them. Yeah, you know, verse 27, it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud. You know, we, we would say, hey, give him a text, Facebook him, FaceTime him, you know, get on a Zoom meeting. Where is he? But look at verse 28. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out of them before, uh, out, out upon them. That's what they're doing. It's Baal worship. So when you come back to Mark 5, again, Satan, he, he's, he has pulled out the big guns. And he's literally trying to destroy the nation of Israel. And I'll be honest with you, if he can get Israel or if he can get you and I to destroy ourselves, because that's what he's getting Israel to do. He, that's what he did with Eve. He just had a little enticement over here. Again, took the truth and went, went one click off, so it became a lie. It's no longer the truth. And he comes in and he's doing that with Israel. And this man here, all he's demonstrating is the attitude of the a- adversary towards Israel and mankind, and he's getting them. So... Uh, we're in that territory. Uh, by the way, look down at verse um, verse 19, just kind of thinking about the mountains. Howbeit Jesus suffered him, and that's going to be the man, suffered him not. The guy wanted to go home with Jesus. He's like, take me with you. <laughs> you know, I'm out of here. So he said, no, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. You see, it's not time to deliver the land. It's not time to deliver the people. But, it, but what the Lord's doing is demonstrating how he's going to do it. So, dude, go home. Tell everybody how I'm going to do this. Now, watch where he goes, verse 20. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Deca- he, didn't even, he didn't live up in the country of the Gadarenes. He lives in Decapolis. He's a city guy who's out sleeping in outside under the stars. But why is he there? The satanic captivity. Okay? Now go back to verse uh, 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now, hang on a second here. You got an unclean spirit in the guy. By the way, his name's Legion. You got 2,000 of them. Okay? But yet he goes and he does, what does the verse say? He goes and he worshipped him. He ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? And I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now, a lot going on there. Let's unpack it. 
when he says he worshiped him, come back with me to 2 Kings 17. I know you were just there. It's okay. You can turn back. Okay. When they or when this man run when this guy goes out and worships the Lord, he's not worshiping how you and I think he's worshiping him. Rather, he's worshiping him the way that Baal produces worship. That vain religious system had a manner in how they produced worship. You and I, we look at it, we worship him because he, he, he is the son of the living God. He, he's it. They don't do that. In Baal worship, he's just another God on the mantle. Remember those guys in Acts that Paul goes and deals with? And he says, you're all but too superstition, and let me talk to you about this one over here. You got labeled unknown God. See? That's what Baal worship does. Look at first, or 2 Kings 17. So as Baal worship takes over Israel, becomes the official religion in Israel under the king, king Ahab with old Jezebel and Ethbel and all, you know, father-in-law and all that, it takes over the land, it takes over everything, but it produces a certain way of worship. 1733, 2 Kings 1733. By the way, verse 32, So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of, of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. See, we're still up in the mountain. Now watch verse 33. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. Now how confused are they? They feared Jehovah, who's their God, but then they go out and they worship their own you know what that's called? Assimilation. What did Daniel want? What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He goes in, he sacks the, the city, he goes into the temple and the king's palace, and he takes all those temple furniture, and he takes it home, and he puts them in the house of his own God. That's okay, you just come over here and be a part of what we're doing. Assimilation. That's what he's doing here. Look, at, look back up at verse 26. Wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations, the, now the king of Assyria, so Israel here, this is the ten northern tribes. As they've come in, now they've broken off. Syria has come in to take them. All right? Now watch what he says. The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the city of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore, he hath sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. It's he, by, by the way, I don't know if you guys remember, several years ago there was a great push. There still is. It's just not popular anymore uh, due to COVID. But it's, they're called territorial spirits, where they'll come in and they'll do something to get the bad energy out. They'll go into the house and they'll bless the house. When I rode my motorcycle and I was riding with the guys, we would have a motorcycle blessing. You get the bad boot, you get your little bell and you put it at the lowest part of the motor. I had one, you know, it was, I, I, mine wasn't at the lowest part, but I, it was a gift given to me 
by the guys. So, I've, you know, why? Because you keep the road demons away. I wish I'd have told the lady that T-boned me. We'd have been good, you know. Didn't really work. Actually, I called my buddy, and I said, hey, your bell didn't work. He goes, what do you mean? I'm in the hospital, dude, you know. But the thing is, is that only the heathen do that. That's what we're doing here. The God of the land. Well, who's the God of the land? The reason it's a capital G here is because it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's God the creator. It's, it's the God. But now watch verse 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, so Syria has come in and sacked the territory, and they don't understand. The, the, the religious guys go in and say, the reason things are happening is because you don't understand how the God of this territory works. Okay, territorial spirits. You don't, know, you don't know why those lions are coming in eating people. There's a voodoo here. There's a mis... Now watch verse 20. Yeah, bad juju. There you go. Verse 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. So what are you going to do? You got a priest over there somewhere, I know you do. The, the king said, go get him and have him come in and teach us how the God of this land is going to work and operate. You follow what's going on here? Verse 28. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. But not the Lord as Jehovah. The Lord is what? God of the land. See? So there's no doctrine in any of this. It's just the ceremonies. It's just to get the, we're going to put, you put this little idol on your house, on the, on the windowsill, and all the bad goes, stays out and all the good stays in. Okay? The Roman Catholic idea of if you take old Saint whatever his name is and bury him out in the front yard, you'll sell your house, right? It's, oh, upside down, okay? I'm not, so... Where did that come from? It, right here. See, there's nothing new under the sun, folks. You see all of what the pagans do out there in religion. I call them the religionists do. Comes right out. They plagiarize it right out of the word of God. Here it is. Verse 29. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And the men of Bala, uh, Babylon watch, made, that guy, see that word made? And the men of Cuth made that guy. And the men of Hamath made, and you go down in verse 30 and 31, and there are seven false gods. When, when Babylon made Sukkoth Benoth, that's a god. When Cuth, Cuth made Nergal, I'm going to butcher the name, so I'm not going to try. Those are gods. They, they literally... They fill that land up with seven false gods, and there the names are given. So they sack Samaria, and they're like, okay, man, what's going on? Why is, well, how does this? And so, okay, let's get somebody to teach us about the, this god in this territory, and then you go over here, and we're going to fill up that land with seven more. So the land of the northern tribes of Israel is filled up with false gods. That's how they worship. So when this guy sees, the, and then verse 32, so they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests for the high place, and they feared the Lord and served their own gods. 
what gods are they serving? The seven they just named. And so when this man in Mark 5, go back to Mark 5, when he comes running out there to worship the Lord, he's not worshiping him as Jehovah. He's worshiping him as just another god of the land. See? He's just another god out there on the mantle, on the altar, sitting up in the window seal. He's not, we think about him as what? Jehovah. <laughs> That's who he is. Not this guy. Verse 7. Mark 5, 7. You got, you, I hope you follow that. Because that's really the, the getting into the point here of, of what's going on in the passage. Verse 7. He saw Jesus and he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now there's a couple things there. First of all, he knows who he is. Okay, He knows that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. Now, you remember the Most High, that title, Isaiah 14, Lucifer wants to be like the Most High. Come over to Genesis 14, just so you see it. I've said this. I caught myself Sunday. I said, you know, this verse, and I'm like, I, we should really look at that. Everybody's looking at me with glassed over eyes. And I'm like, all right, let's go look at it. Look at Genesis 14. Because it's fascinating to, to see this, Genesis 14, that issue of the Most High God. Genesis 14, verse 17. Now, in Genesis 14, Abraham goes and delivers Lot. He's coming back in. Verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer. So he's coming back from the war, from the fighting, and the kings that were with him at the valley of Shev, which is in the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem. By the way, you see that he's king of Salem? If you take Salem, and then you take Jehovah's name, the Jer, J-E-R, you get the future Jerusalem. So where he's at is the future, what is now a future going to be called Jerusalem. It's not Jerusalem in the moment, okay? It's just Salem. But eventually it will become Jerusalem. So it's, you know, the, king, the city of the, most, of, the, of the king. So Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. So do you see in verse 19 the title? The Most High God. Do you see the comma after God? Here's what that title means. Possessor of heaven and earth. And earth. So when the title is used of the Most High God, he's saying, back in Mark 5, you're the guy who possesses heaven and earth. You have the authority to run and rule over heaven and earth. You're the creator. So he describes God here, the Lord, as the one who it all belongs to. It's his. Well, Paul says that, Colossians 1. It was made by him and for him. John 1 says the same thing, just to the nation of Israel. So in Mark 5, when this guy goes running out there and he says, Hey, what are you, the, you're the son of the Most High. He knows who he is. Who is he? He's the one that's come to liberate, all, repossess his possession. <laughs> He's there. That's why in Isaiah 14, when Satan says... 
I want to be like the Most High. That's his policy. Satan's policy of evil, we say that, the policy is to be like the Most High, to counterfeit the Most God. But Satan's plan, policy and plan are two different things. Satan's plan ultimately is to be the Most High. So Satan's policy is to be like him, counterfeit him, but his plan is to get it. And that's where we're at. Back to Mark 5. Mark 5, verse 7. So he says, so here comes the Lord, and he's going to, the unclean spirit meets him and greets him. He's possessing the land. He knows who Christ is, and he knows that he's come to take it back. And you not understand that by the way the verse ends. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Matthew says, torment me before the time. So he knows that there's a, something going to happen here in the future where he's what? Removed completely from the land. It's fascinating how this unclean spirit knows the plan of God. And yet some dumb thumps humans don't. They possess, profess they do, but they don't. That in Acts there, when Paul, uh, the sorcerer, uh, Elimaeus, thank you. And that devil, that demon looks over there and says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? These guys know. They're not Bible dumb, dumbbells. They know what's going on. And what do they know? They know that he's come, and he's come to take it back. So don't torment me before the time. Again, he understands. Now, he don't believe it. He knows that the Lord has come back to repossess it. Verse 8. So the Lord says, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Notice it's one spirit who is doing the talking. Verse 9. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we... For we are many. And again, end of verse 13, about 2,000 of them. Okay? So you've got one unclean spirit speaking on behalf of everybody else that's in the guy. He's literally controlling all the other spirits in the man. So that begins to tell you some things. First of all, legion is important. Legion is a key term here. Okay, it's a military term that describes the military organization of the armies of Rome. And he's describing, really he's describing the organizational structure of the armies of the adversary. Is what he's doing. So if you, when you begin to kind of think about the spirit world, your scriptures is a great place to go think about the spirit world in. Because God has explained to us how things work in our world, the physical world that we can see it. And then he turns and uses the same terminology to describe the spirit world, the unseen world. Colossians 1.16 is a great example. Whether there be the heaven and the earth, invisible, visible, thrones, he, the interchangeable. So he's using a term here 
that describes military organization so that you and I would understand that what's, what's going on in the spirit realm over there? Military organization. There's a military conflict coming. And when Christ shows up, he comes as the Most High God, and he's coming to repossess his possession. That's what he's coming to do. And this guy is there to stop him, not to give it up. There's two And by the way, the other thing it shows you is that in one Israeli, it's 2,000 unclean spirits. That means that Satan, the Lord is now in his earthly ministry. The adversary's response to that is to bring all of his minions to the battlefield. So much so that there's not enough Israelis for all of them to inhabit, to, to function. A, an unclean spirit is a, is a uh, spirit without a body, physical body. They have to inhabit something to be able to connect with. It's not like an angel who just, boom, boom, has the appearance of a man. These are, uh, there's a word for it. I just slipped. Anyway, verse 10, 510. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. He doesn't say don't throw us out of the man. He says don't throw us out of the land. That's key here. You got legion, military, we're going to fight, we've got a conflict. And then he says we're fighting over the land. The whole issue with the unclean spirit is, is he's a part of the military force of the adversary that's in the land designed to hold the land so that it won't, cannot be used by God to carry out the prophetic program. You guys, look over at Luke 11. I was going to say, you remember Luke 11, so let's go look at Luke 11. Look, Luke 11, verse 20. Luke eleven twenty. Luke eleven twenty. He says, "But if I, and that's Christ, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, watch, armed, keepeth his palace, so there's his headquarters. His goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him." And overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. That's what's going on. What's Satan done? He's the strong man, Jeremiah 31, so forth. What does he have there? He's got an army there. He's got his arsenal there. He's got them all there. He's called the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and all every branch of the military is there. And the Lord shows up, go back to Mark 5, comes across the water there, and the unclean spirit comes out and greets him, but not a, hey, how you doing, glad, welcome, but hey, what are you doing here? Why did you come and torment us before it's time? You see, it's not time for the second coming of Christ to happen. What are you doing here? You've you, you got to think about where we're at dispensationally within the nation of Israel's period. He, the 70th week hasn't started. We're not even done with the 69 weeks yet of Daniel 9. We're still working it. We've still got time here to go, at least 
about two years left here, two, two and a half of the Lord's ministry. And the devil, the, the, the unclean spirit says, you're early, dude. What are you doing here? Now, he's there to demonstrate to Israel how he's going to do it, but the unclean spirit doesn't know that. All the unclean spirit says is, uh-oh, there's the, there's the five-star general, and we're in trouble. What are you doing here? And the Lord's going to explain that to him again. Don't throw us out of the land. Again, what Christ has come to do is literally throw out the adversary to have them leave dispossess the the um, the land so in verse 7 have you come to torment us again Matthew 8 he says before the time the Lord's come and it's time he, he, he it isn't the second coming okay come back with me to um, brain slip. Zechariah, I think it is. Zechariah 13. Zechariah 13. Yeah, there it is. Zechariah 13. And then we'll go get Numbers 33. But Zechariah 13, verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanliness. Uh, that day, that, that's the kingdom, okay? where God's going to cleanse his people, cleanse the nation, they're going to be his people, and off they go. Verse 2, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land. There's 2 Kings 17, those named idols. And they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. When's he going to do that? Second coming, going into the kingdom. The unclean spirit's like, hey, Zechariah 13 says you're early. What are you doing here? It's not time. See, again, they're really clear about what's going on. Now, come to Numbers 13. I'm sorry, 33. And watch Moses tell them this. Numbers 33. In order, to God, in order for God to repossess the land from the adversary, he has to cast out the unclean spirit out of the land. And then he has to bring his people into the land. That's what Zechariah 13 just told us. But that's the pattern established by Moses in the very beginning. Numbers 33 and verse 51. Numbers 33, 51. Here's what they're to do when they go into the land. Okay, 51, 33, 51. By the way, this is going to happen in Joshua, the book of Joshua. You see it there. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures, there they are, and destroy all their molten image and quick pluck down all their high places. So what are they going to do? They're going to go in, and they're going to destroy. They're to take everything, burn it, and if anything's left, burn that again. They take the, the, the cow's hoof and burn it till it's no more. They're not to leave anything. 
That's why Joshua, when he gets done at the end of his life, he says, my generation, we've done our part, and we're establishing for the next. But what is after Joshua? Judges. There's no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eye, and they didn't do. They kept the good stuff. We'll keep the goodly stuff and trouble. Judges is where Baal worship gets its foothold into the nation, in the tribe of Dan. What are they going to do? They're going to displace, get rid of the Baal worship. Verse 53. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land, and what? Dwell therein. For I have given you the land to possess. The pattern in Israel has been established. The precedent is there. What are you going to do? You're going to dispossess, and then you're going to go and possess it. So when you come back to Mark 5, and it's time to quit. Mark 5, we'll pick up here in verse 11. But watch verse 11. So in Mark 5, you see the dispossession. He's kicking them out, the picture of it. The man, the unclean spirit, is, he understands that. His thing is, is you're a little too early for this to be permanent. See, he's thinking permanent. God's, Christ is over here painting the picture for him because he knows it's not time yet. So then you got verse 11, and he says, Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. Now, why in the world is there a herd of swine in the nation of Israel? Swine's one of the, you know, can't have bacon and eggs. <laughs> it's, swine's are no good. But why is there a herd there? Well, what's it, what did Isaiah 65 tell us? They're going to eat swine's flesh. That's because what is Israel doing? They're eating swine. They're eating the pig. Are they supposed to eat the pig? No, but they are. There's a whole herd of them there. It's a symbol of the religious corruption that they're under. Verse 12. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. Throw us into the swine. Don't, get, don't throw us out of the land. Just put us over there in the pigs. We're good to go over there in the pigs. That religious system's taking full effect. The Baal worship's in. They're in trouble. But then verse 13, And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out, and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. They go running off into the sea. Now, we'll have to pick up there with the special issue of why they are... The unclean spirits, the demons, the devils, they have an affinity for water and for fire. And they're drawn to it. And we'll look at all that next time, okay? Let's just stop there. You go back, you read Isaiah 66 and, we, and Ezekiel 36 and so forth, and you get this whole picture of what's happening, and we'll do all that next time, okay? Because it's five after already, so. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the look into it here, and see how you... Uh, will one day in the future deliver your, your, your people, the nation of Israel, in their program at the right time.
and how you're going to accomplish that, and we can rejoice that you will accomplish that. And, and also then that you will accomplish for us what you've said you will for us. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.